Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight. I also host the podcast Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, which you can listen to if you need your literary fix fast. This podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight, is for anyone out there who wants to feel better in their bodies like I do. There's a private support group that I started on Instagram at Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight. And all of us share tips, suggestions, recipes, meal ideas, and generally just give each other lots and lots and lots of support so that it isn't so hard to do what should be simple, but somehow isn't. So please listen to the podcast, hear stories from people just like you who have struggled and overcome things and have ideas and suggestions. And let's just do this together. We got this. Thanks for listening. Molly Galbraith is the author of Strong Women Lift Each Other Up and is the co-founder of Girls Gone Strong, the world's largest platform providing evidence-based interdisciplinary health, fitness, nutrition, and pregnancy education for women and the health and fitness professionals who work with them including industry-leading certification programs and coaching. The Strong Women Lift Each Other Up philosophy is woven through the fabric of Girls Gone Strong as Molly leads her international team of women from the U.S., Canada, the U.K., Mexico, India, and Australia. From employing and educating to featuring, collaborating with, and investing in women, Girls Gone Strong is dedicated to lifting women up in 80-plus countries around the world. Molly has spoken all over the world at top conferences and prestigious universities like Yale, and she has been featured in public Locations like time and people. Welcome, Molly. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight. Thank you, Zibby. I really appreciate you having me. Your book, Strong Women Lift Each Other Up. Tell me about this book. Tell me about why you decided to write it. And then I I want to go into further more about your whole like journey with your body, which you wrote about so beautifully and how you got to this place where now we're on zoom and like you're like with your water bottle looking all like you just got out of the gym except with beautiful (laughs) hair. So (laughs) tell me everything. Yes, it'd be. Thank you. So I wrote this book because I want to see a world where all women and girls get the support and opportunities they need to thrive and succeed, where women believe that they are enough just as they are, regardless of what their body looks like, and where they are happy to see other women succeed because they know there's enough success to go around. And ultimately, I want to see a world where there's equitable representation of women in all the important places where decisions are made. And that is not our reality. So I wrote this book to help women overcome the personal struggles that often hold us back from supporting other women. So I know it can seem like these different topics aren't necessarily tied together, but in the book, I show you how they are tied together. So we have these personal struggles with comparison, jealousy, body image, feeling like other women are our competition, and it holds us back from supporting other women in the ways that we need to in order to create this reality for ourselves. So I wrote this book to give women the actionable tools they need to overcome their struggles so that they can lift other women up in their everyday lives and together create a better world for women and girls. Amazing. That's a lofty goal. I love that. (laughs) I mean, that's, that's, that's big to do in one book. I love it. Might as well like shoot for the moon. I find it so interesting because I sort of specialized in eating disorders in college when I was a psychology major. And my whole senior thesis was on social comparison theory and how much women compare themselves to each other, particularly in 
eating and working out settings, noticing how much you eat, how much she's eating, how much she's eating. Like, why do women do this? What is it about them? And all of that. And then there was the, you know, obviously this huge section on socially comparing yourself in your book and it's top of mind. Tell me a little more about your experience with that. Yeah. So I grew up in a lot of scarcity. My family didn't have a lot of money growing up. And so I grew up feeling like there wasn't enough for me, whether it was, I didn't have the cool clothes or, you know, we had a pre-signed check for a certain amount of money to go in and get groceries. And, you know, we did the grocery shopping. My mom was sitting in the car studying for school and it's like, okay, well, if this, you know, when this runs out, we don't have enough to go back and get more. I was kind of bullied a little bit growing up. I was kind of like the weird smart kid, didn't have a ton of friends. And so there was just this overarching lack of enoughness. And I was constantly looking to other girls to see the ways that I didn't measure up. And so that started for me at a very, very young age. And it was, you know, clothes and money and, you know, food and things like that growing up. I mean, I didn't even have like, you know, the, like the cool lunchbox with like the cool food and stuff, you know, the like, like food in it that the other kids had and things like that. Then I tried out for the cheerleading squad multiple times, didn't make it. And so I just kept getting this message of you're not good enough. Other girls are better than you. You know, they have cuter clothes. The boys like them. They're, they make the cheerleading squad. Then the summer before my freshman year of high school, my mom got a job. She finished school, got a job. We had a little bit more money. She hired an older cheerleader to come help me like practice and make the cheerleading squad. I got my hair highlighted and I basically developed breasts overnight. So I show up at school the first day of freshman year. And it's kind of like one of those high school movies where it's like the girl like takes her glasses off and shakes her hair out. And everyone's like, who's the new girl, you know? And it's like, But in my mind, it was like, okay, blonde hair, check. Big breasts, check. Cheerleader, check. Like you've made it, you're in. And all of a sudden people started being really nice to me and the popular girls wanted to be my friends and boys started to pay attention to me. And so ingrained in me at a very young age, at 13, because I skipped a grade. So I started school or started high school at 13. The way that you look is more important than who you are as a person. And people are going to like you for who you look. It's going to get you the validation and the connection and the love and the belonging that you want. And that was a really dangerous lesson to learn at 13. And it followed me for the next about 15 years. And so I did all kinds of, I was got on the diet and exercise roller coaster, did different like competitions and stuff, standing on stage in a bathing suit, having my body compared to other women, significantly restricting calories and under eating, developed a host of health problems. And, you know, we can get into all of that if you'd like, but it was, it really cemented this idea that the way that you look is more important than who you are as a, as a person. And you are going to get the love and belonging that you want by looking a particular way and checking these boxes versus who you are. What is your regular hair color? Out of curiosity. (laughs) (laughs) The color, the color of my eyebrows. It's like a very, yeah, it's very dirty dishwater. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Sorry. Not that that was the main takeaway of what you just said, but I was curious about it. You did talk about your health challenges in the book. And I was wondering, did you say you had Hashimoto's or is that right? Yes. Yes. Yep. I have Hashimoto's and PCOS. And PCOS. That's right. Do you feel like you, like that contributed to the eating issues? Do you feel like you caused that with how you ate and treated your body? Like, which do you think came first? Obviously we can't know, right? But what's what's your theory on that? Yeah. So my doctor actually said that basically I have a genetic predisposition. 
So the, the kind of phrase that they use is like genetics loads, the trigger environment pulls the gun is essentially like the way that they, that they phrase that. So it's like, I was predisposed to those, but the enormous amount of stress that I put myself under with the severe caloric restriction and the over-exercise that kind of was like, that was the the stress that kind of like essentially pulled the trigger. So if I had been predisposed to maybe other autoimmune diseases, then that might have been what I ended up getting diagnosed with. But yeah, my doctor's pretty certain that the enormous amount of stress that I put my body under with the under eating and over-exercising is what kind of flipped that switch for me. And then you wrote about how once you kind of, well, once you were diagnosed and quote, like recovered or like came out of that phase of restriction and over-exercising and all of that, and then you put on more weight and then people started treating you differently again. Tell me about like that part of the roller coaster. Yeah. So I got into fitness. So I, I end of call, end of high school, beginning of college, got really sedentary, gained some weight. And then 2004 is when I decided to get into really hardcore into fitness. And for the next several years, I just got an enormous amount of, again, affirmation and love and compliments and attention for the way that my body looked. And so I was doing something called figure competitions, which is similar. It's kind of a mix between bikini and bodybuilding. So a little more muscular than bikini, less muscular than bodybuilding. And I was getting, again, all of this, all these questions like, oh, what are you doing? You look so amazing. And, but after every competition, for that competition, you have to diet really hard. So that's the dieting that I was talking about. You know, at one point I was eating like 900 calories a day and doing two hours of cardio and I'm almost six feet tall. So that 900 calories was incredibly difficult on my body or hard on my body, but it was also psychologically really difficult. And so after I finished my competition, I couldn't control my eating. So I started, you know, overeating a whole lot and my body rebounded really badly. So within two to three weeks of the competition ending, I would have put on 15 to 20 pounds. And a lot of that's, you know, food, like water retention and inflammation and things like that. But I mean, some of, you know, some of it is bad as well, but either way, my body changed and it looked really different. And so people started making comments to me like, oh, whoa, what happened to you? Or are you still working out? I don't understand. And at one point- Who was saying, after, this? Who was saying this to you, by the way? <laughs> people that I worked with, people that I went to the gym with, people on the internet. Oh yeah. And then- after I went on this roller coaster a few more times, it was 2013 at this point. I was a fitness professional. I owned a gym. I had, you know, a YouTube channel, online, you know, business and kind of community. And people, a woman in my community was telling other women not to come to my gym because they might look like me. What? I was getting negative comments on my YouTube channel saying, What's wrong with you? Why does your body not look the way that it used to? And then I was hosting a seminar at my gym and a male colleague stood in my office and made fun of my body to my team. It was very bad. And that, and so I hit like kind of a breaking point in 2013. The reason that my, my body had kind of rebounded at that point was because I lost my dad unexpectedly to pneumonia. I injured myself in the gym and started having chronic pain. And I left a six-year relationship and left the home and business we had together. So it was a, it was a tough year. And nutrition and exercise weren't at the forefront of what I was doing. And I could, I could hardly exercise. I could hardly tie my shoes. And so that's kind of what happened to my body at that point in time. So that's when all these people started saying, you know, really negative stuff. And I had more of a kind of, you know, a presence in the fitness industry as well. So I had, there was this very specific expectation of what my body was supposed to look like. And so at that point I was like, all right, I'm going to get my body back. I'm going to get, get under control. I'm going to diet back down, you know, et cetera. And I hired a nutrition coach and Zibby, I would take pictures of myself like progress pictures and send them to him and 
do the nutrition plan or whatever. And one week I hadn't made a lot of progress and I got my nutrition plan back and I was looking at it and he had taken away my avocado at dinner. And I was like, Oh no, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this anymore. This isn't the life that I want to live for myself. Do I want to spend my life taking pictures of myself in a bathing suit? So some dude two States over can tell me I can't have avocado with my dinner. No, that is not the life that I want for myself. And so that was honestly like the, that was the turning point for me. I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to like myself regardless of what my body looks like. I want to believe in my abilities as a coach and trainer. I've got, you know, almost two decades of experience. I want to feel good. I, you know, like I want to like me outside of what other people say or think. And so that kind of kicked off the next eight years of coming into my own and deciding that I was going to be good with myself regardless of what other people thought and really healing my relationship with food, myself and my body. So that part, how did you do that? <laughs> that part, wait, we can't, go, we can't yeah, just go gloss over that, that part. Go back to that thing where you now have a great relationship with your body and food and everything like that. Oh yeah. It was a long time coming. So by 2013, I had been in therapy for five years. So I started going to therapy in 2008. The joke is that I started going to therapy in 2008 because in my then relationship, I struggled to be vulnerable with my partner and now I'm vulnerable on the internet. So like therapy works really well. Yeah, <laughs> you, you go from not even being able to be vulnerable with the most important people to you to like, here I am world and internet. So I had a Although lot. You could be open with the internet and the world and still not be able to be vulnerable in your most private relationships. Just say, yes. okay. That I, is very true. Yes. That you, is very you do true. Select, you select what you share to the world at large. So it is totally. like a curated, you know, anyway, keep going. Yes, totally. And so I had a lot of skills for how to actually, you know, to change my mindset and use certain like behavior-based tools barred from the, from behavior-based psychology of behavior change. And at that point I had been a coach for nine years. So I had a lot of experience helping women break down where they are now to where they want to be and figuring out, okay, what are these goals? Okay. What are the skills and actions that I have to take to be able to do those things? And so I was able to turn around and use those on myself. And so I talk about a lot of them in the book, but one of the biggest ones for me was when I was having negative thoughts about myself was this idea of noticing and naming. So noticing and naming is borrowed from the field of behavior change psychology. And the idea is that we can't change anything if we're not aware of it. And so noticing it helps raise our level of awareness about it. And then naming it, there's evidence to suggest that naming how we're feeling actually reduces the intensity of the emotion a little bit. So for example, if I was looking in the mirror and I'm like, you know, ugh, like I've got cellulite on my legs. They're so gross. Like I just feel so self-conscious. This is, you know, like I just, I hate the way my legs look. I need to drop my calories, exercise more, diet harder. I was able to notice and name how I was feeling like, okay, I'm like noticing that I'm having these feelings. Like I'm naming that I'm feeling self-conscious. And then I'm able to use different techniques that I discuss in the book to retrain my brain out of that. So there's a number of questions that we can ask ourselves to help ourselves reframe our thoughts. But for that particular one, I used one where you over time, you switch your thought process from really negative to slightly negative and slightly negative to neutral and neutral to slightly positive and then slightly positive to really positive over time. So for me, my kind of inner dialogue went from, I hate my legs. I hate the cellulite on my legs. They're so gross. They're disgusting to, 
I'm uncomfortable with the cellulite on my legs. And so I kind of lived in that place for weeks or months. So anytime I would, I would see the cellulite on my legs and have that really negative reaction, I would kind of bring myself down and say, I'm feeling self-conscious. I'm feeling, you know, like it means that I'm not a good trainer that I don't know what I'm doing or, you know, I'm not qualified or whatever. I would would name those feelings and I'd say, okay, I'm uncomfortable with the cellulite on the backs of my legs. And then over time I was able to reframe that too. I have cellulite on the backs of my legs and it's neutral. And my mom has it and my grandmother has it and 90% of women have it. And it doesn't mean that I'm not a good coach or trainer. It doesn't mean that I'm not qualified. It doesn't mean that I can't help women, you know, reach their goals that they want to reach. But I just, I have cellulite on the backs of my legs. So that's where I live now. I haven't switched all the way over to positive or really positive, but I don't have to because now it's just neutral. So it doesn't impact the way that I live my life. And so I just can kind of live in that space of neutrality. So other other thoughts and feelings that I've had, I've been able to move from really negative all the way over to really positive. But for that one, I live at neutral and it's totally fine. I love that idea of sort of putting your thought on like a spectrum with like a, you know, like a, I'm, I'm gesturing with this pencil in my hand, but of course it makes no sense to be listening, but you know, that you can go like 180 degrees back and forth. And where are you today? Like, I ate three brownies. I'm a terrible person. No, I didn't mean to eat three brownies. I'm, you know, like moving it to a place where like, okay, I just ate them, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I'm a, I'm a terrible person. I ate three brownies too. I'm disappointed that I wasn't able to stop at one or two brownies or whatever too. I ate three brownies and that's where it is to, I ate three brownies and they were really delicious. And I have the opportunity to make a different choice at my next meal, you know? Yeah. There you go. Well, thank you. My, now I'm better. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. And now I can repeat your mantra. I feel comfortable with the cellulite on the back of my legs. I feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now you'll have all these people, you know, chanting yeah. this. It's empowering, actually, which is probably why you started this whole, you know, <laughs> girls gone strong, like a whole movement to help younger girls, which by the way, is so amazing of you to do. I mean, there's it would be so easy to not have, have done that or just to, you know, focus on your growth from here or what you're going to contribute or continue training others or whatever, but thinking about girls and making a difference then, why did you shift your, like, why go back to the young, like, why start there? How did that happen? Yeah, actually, so Girls Come Strong, it started 10 years ago when I probably would have considered myself more of a girl, but the focus <laughs> with but the, the focus with Girls Come Strong is actually women. So the so our mission statement at, at Girls Come Strong is we create evidence-based interdisciplinary health, fitness, nutrition, and pregnancy education for women and the professionals who work with them because we believe when women feel strong, confident, and empowered in their lives and bodies, we can change the world. So the goal with that is that we believe that when women feel strong, confident, empowered in their lives and bodies, we can change the world. And we know how influential women are in the lives of young girls. So we know that their moms and their aunts and their teachers and their role models and their coaches and their just have such an incredible opportunity to really shape the next generation and while also healing themselves at the same time, because mothers truly are the number one influence on their daughter's body image and on her eating habits and on 
our exercise habits. And so we think it's so critical if we can help women release the expectation of what their bodies are supposed to look like, focus on eating in a way that's nourishing for them and moving their bodies in a way that is joyful, that brings them joy instead of as punishment. And if they can heal their relationship with their bodies, that we can really break that that kind of generational trauma, that chain of like negative body image and unhealthy eating and movement habits that, you know, so often get instilled in us at a young age. I have friends who can remember being four and five years old and having their mom say, do I look fat in this? Do I look fat in this? Do I look pretty? I have another friend who she has one of those scales that you have to tap and then you step on it and it Mm -hmm. weighs you or whatever. And she saw her two-year-old walk in the bathroom and tap the scale and then step on it just because she saw her mom do that. Right. And she doesn't at two years old, she doesn't know what that means, but she's going to know what that means at three, four, five, six, seven. And it's going to be something that she always remembers. And so we feel just if we can help women have this strength inner and outer, this confidence and this empowerment that we can really change the world for women and girls. So what does it look like to be in your like ideal world of a mother who has gotten strong, right? What, how does she, does, is it, is it the modeling of her behavior for her daughter that you think is the most important? Or is there something you want these moms to say and do specifically that would help the younger generation? Yeah. So I think the modeling is so important because they are always paying attention. So not talking about food is good or bad, not talking about being on or off a diet, not restricting any particular food in the house saying like, Oh, you know, like we, we earned our cake or whatever, or eat your broccoli to make sure that you can earn your popsicle or whatever the thing is. So not, not assigning any morality to food, but just saying, these are the foods that we eat all the time. These are the foods that we eat some of the time talking about, you know, we eat these foods because they help us be healthy and strong and give us energy. Not that, you know, these are good foods and these are bad foods that you're, you know, never supposed to eat. And not even like one of my, one of the women that I follow online, her, her handle is kids eat in color. And she's a registered dietitian. And she talks about like serving dessert with the meal instead of after the meal, because then it just kind of makes it no big deal. And it's just some more food that you eat. And it's not this like kind of treasure at the end that kids like, you know, really put on a pedestal and think that they want it all the time, which I think is a really valuable tool. When kids come to you, this is a really, really difficult one. If your child comes to you and says, mommy, am I fat? Mm-hmm. the first response that most moms want to say is, oh my gosh, no, sweetie, of course you're not fat. But what that teaches your child is that fat is bad and that right now they have quote unquote made the cut And so they have earned that they're good enough because they aren't that thing. Right. So then that has some like anti-fat bias in it saying that like fat is bad. And if you were fat, that would be bad, but you're not. So that's okay. And you've, you're, you're good enough right now because you're not that thing. So that's another really, really difficult one. So in that, what should you say? Yeah. So in that instance, you would say, you know, what, why are you asking me this question? They say, oh, someone at school called me fat. And you would say, okay, well, what does that mean to you? And they say, well, I think fat is bad. You say, why do you think fat is bad? You know, well, because, you know, if you're fat, then that means you're less healthy. And you say, well, that doesn't always mean that you're less healthy. And, you know, body diversity is normal and people's, you know, people have different body shapes and sizes and that's okay. And what we're going to focus on is eating foods that make us feel good and doing movement with our bodies that we like. And the size and shape of our body when we're doing those things is size and shape that our body's supposed to be. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I had something similar happen. I have four kids and well, maybe I shouldn't go into the details, but you know, one of my kids 
said that, you know, her friend looked so much thinner than her, you know, and, and I was like, oh my gosh, already. And she said it again, like in front of the friend and her mom, like, oh, this friend, you know, look at her. She's so much like taller and thinner than I am. And I was like, you know what? That's what your body's like. Like her mom happens to be taller and thinner than I am, but that's okay. Like, that's just how we're built. Look at that. So I don't know. It hasn't come up since, but we'll see what happens. (laughs) Yeah. Just helping them understand because, you know, helping them understand that bodies come in different shapes and sizes and that we're not all supposed to look the same and that there's no one right way to have a body. And that, you know, for them at that age, eating foods that help them feel good and healthy and strong and moving their bodies in ways that they enjoy, like what their body looks like when they do those things is what their body looks like. And it's not supposed to look like anyone else's. And it's a really actually good lesson to to like say, okay, you can pull up a bunch of pictures of trees or a bunch of pictures of animals or a bunch of pictures of flowers and say, look, these are all lilies, but do you see how some of them are taller than others? And some of them are shorter and some of them have bigger blooms and some of them have smaller blooms. Like, you know, we're not all supposed to lose the same thing with humans. We're not all supposed to look the same. And so if we can like show them how that actually occurs in real life and in nature and in all these other areas, because like then they can see that this is just the way that the world is and that there's nothing wrong with looking this way or looking that way. I love that. That's great. And I've never heard that before. And I've, I feel like I've read a zillion articles and books and everything on this topic so that I don't mess up my kids or whatever. And that's really good. I like that. I like a year ago, I was making dinner and I opened two avocados and Zibby, I kid you not. One of them was like this oblong shape and it had this tiny little pit and the other one was round and like most of it was the pit. And I'm like this, this is the thing. There's no, like, this is, this is the diversity. Like there's nothing wrong with these avocados and there's nothing wrong with you either. And it was just such a beautiful representation in that moment of just how different Mm -hmm. is not a bad thing. It just is like, we are the ones, it's a social construct that looking a particular way is, is, is considered good because we've all agreed to it. Right. Unless, unless they feel bad. Like unless they're feeling like sluggish or they feel unhealthy or they feel, unless they feel bad for some actual reason, then yeah. I feel like you can, you know, anyway. Yeah, totally. If the way that they're feeling is limiting them from doing the things that they want to do and from experiencing life the way, the way that they want to experience it, then at that point, and again, especially like, you know, children like parents are, are, you know, responsible for making sure that their children are adopting the good habits that they want them to have and things like that. Um, so I think that's really important, but at the same time, again, as long as it's, we try to focus so much more on the behavior than the outcome, because we can't always control the outcome, but we can control the inputs. And I think that's a really helpful way of looking at it. Like you can't control what's going to happen, but you can control, you know, the inputs that you put in to make a certain outcome more likely. Molly, I love that. Thank you. <laughs> That's great. You're welcome. You're great. Well, this has been awesome. I feel like I've learned so much. Your experience has been like amazing and empowering. And the fact that you turned it into a book is just, you know, bravo to you for doing that. And yeah, it's really, really great. So where can people find you if they want to follow you and they want to get your book and all that good stuff? Yeah, absolutely. So best place to get my books is Strong Women Lift Each Other Up is sold pretty much everywhere books are sold. If they want to find all the retailers, including international, they can go to mollygalbraith.com forward slash book. And then I am most active on Instagram at the Molly Galbraith. And if people are interested in health, 
fitness, nutrition, and pregnancy education. So we do a lot of stuff with pre and postnatal women at the girls gone strong is the best place to find that. And then all of our resources are on girlsgonestrong.com. Amazing. Excellent. Well, I'm so glad that I'm so glad I met you and that we had this talk. So thanks for coming on. Yes, me too, Zibby, with four kids and uh, multiple podcasts. I know you've got a lot of stuff on your plate. So thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. And well, you nice. have made me feel better about what is actually on my plate. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, Zibby. I appreciate it. Me too. Okay. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight. Don't forget to follow the private support group at Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight on Instagram. Thanks.